Uh, this morning, uh, I want to uh, pick up where we left off in the Easter story. What happened after that morning and for the weeks that followed Easter? So we're going to take a look at that. In, uh, we're going to start in Luke, the first, uh, 21st chapter, first verse. Uh, apparently, this isn't a real barn burner of a sermon. In the first service, we had somebody sitting here snoring at the top of his nose. <laughs> Just not exactly a confidence builder, I got to tell you. But uh, <laughs> no, it's cool. A lot of people, I see y'all, I see y'all out there. A lot of people fall asleep. But I get it, you know, I've done it. You know, you worked hard, you got up early or you're up late or something like that and you get in and the warm fuzzy chairs and and pretty soon uh, you're out you know I'm at least you're here so I'll cut you up but if someone's snoring for the love of heaven hit them would you don't don't just just don't let them snore so, well that's embarrassing well you don't get up pretend you gotta go to the potty or something so you you know anyway I finally went amen you know and it woke him up you know so I was, <laughs> if, if you see me, I was going to get real loud for no reason at all. Oh, I'm trying to wake up somebody. <laughs> see who it is. So. so apparently this is not that great of a sermon, but it's the only one I got today. <laughs> Let's move forward, shall we? Luke's account. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning. Now, this is that Sunday morning. Jesus crucified on Friday, Sunday morning. The women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men appeared in clothes that gleamed like lightning and stood beside them. Now, there is a phrase evangelical Christians in particular are very fond of using in defense of the Bible. They say, we believe the Bible to be the inerrant word of God. And now, they mean this in two possible ways. One is they believe God's truth is not full of error inerrant okay but some get very very technical and saying we believe no, there's no mistakes in the bible at all it's absolutely inerrant and there's no human trail of anything uh, which is not true and it's absurd and it just sets us up for uh, obvious criticism because there are there is a human hand in these things they are extremely minor okay but they are there you know, so when you hear something, oh, there's contradictions in the Bible. Yeah, seeming kind of little tiny things that, whether that's a contradiction or not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and then they try and dismiss the Bible because of these little things, which is crazy. By the way, I think it's funny because 99% of the people who try to explain to you the contradictions in the Bible have actually never read the Bible. But, uh, but some have, and they've got these little things. But it, does, it would be like... 500 years from now, someone reading about the accounts of 9-11. And someone says in their account, I was looking up and suddenly the building just exploded into flames and thousands of people perished. And then you read another account and it says, well, I saw an airplane coming from the west and smashed into the building and it burst into flames and every thousands of people were killed. And then someone else says, actually, there was two planes that smashed into the building and it burst into flames, but what really killed people is when the whole thing collapsed and thousands of people were killed. Now, an intelligent, normal person would assume, you know, something happened on 9-11. The major point, 
exploding, lots of dead people, okay? You wouldn't go, well, those three accounts aren't exactly the same, therefore it never happened. That is absurd. And that's what some of these people do that try to dismiss the Bible because there's little inconsistencies or seeming contradictions just on little minor points that have nothing to do with anything. And therefore, they say, well, that, that never happened, which is ludicrous, okay? So, um, just so you young people, particularly those of you in high school and those of you in college, you know, it's very likely you'll get some pinheaded philosophy professor who will tell you the Bible is not true because there's these little tiny things. And when they tell you that, just remember they're pinheads. Uh, don't say that to them. You'll get a very bad score. Okay, just think it. You're a pinhead. All right? So now, what am I talking about? Here's what. Now, when we read last week in Matthew, what it said is the women walked in. There was a guy sitting there who said he's risen. Here, it says they walk in, and then two guys appeared. And, you know, oh, the Bible's full of countenance. It's like, who cares, you know? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. That wasn't the point. By the way, the guy writing this, neither one of them were there. All right? Um, and now, by the way, sometimes what they'll try to tell you too, I don't know if you've ever heard this, they'll have this little uh, exercise that if you get 20 people in a circle and one guy whispers a story to one guy's ear, and whispers in it, by the time it comes around, the stories really change. And they try to show you that's why the Bible probably isn't really accurate. Again, horse manure. That's not what these guys did. They, this was a very disciplined thing they did in writing down these scriptures. In fact, one of the major discoveries in the 20th century was what they called the Dead Sea Scrolls, where they found these really ancient documents. And at first, the skeptics thought, well, this will be great, because now we'll prove that the Bible, what we have today, is not what was originally said you know, because of this theory of repeating. But when they studied it, it was exactly word for word. And it shut up those skeptics. So they come up with some other pinheaded thing. Um, but for example, if you had 20 people in a circle and one guy wrote down a story and then you had 100 experts watch the next guy write it down and 100 experts watch the next guy write it down, I promise you, by the time of 20, not a word would change. That's the kind of thing. These people wrote the Bible and copied from one to another. This wasn't just a bunch of guys sitting around having a beer or two telling stories. These were guys, this was extremely disciplined, and they got it right. Again, you can go back to the earliest manuscripts, and it varies in almost no way at all from thousands of years later. It's quite fascinating to see. Having said that, though, these are human beings, writing these things down. There are little inequities and stuff, but it doesn't mean jack squat. The story stays the same. In fact, there's even a contradiction, in a sense, in this very account from the guy writing, which I'll show you in just a minute. All right, so anyway, they walk in. Here's two guys, and in their fright, the women bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. And this is what he told them. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, seriously, when you read the New Testament, you know, it's easy to be critical, but it's like these guys were really dumb as bricks, some of them. It wasn't like they came and all of this was a shock. Jesus told them in no uncertain terms we're going to Jerusalem. 
They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. And on the third day, I will raise again. He told them again and again and again. And when it happened, they all went, <laughs> we never saw this coming. It's like, how dense are you? I mean, it would be like me if we were meeting secretly and it's against the law and the Lord revealed to me that next week the police are going to break in and arrest me while I'm preaching. And I told you, listen, the Lord told me next Sunday when I'm preaching, they're going to come in handcuffs and drag me away. And I tell you this three or four times, and then next Sunday while I'm preaching, they bust out of the stage, they grab me and arrest me and throw me into jail, and you are, <laughs> we never saw it coming. I don't know what happened. You would be a nitwit, Okay. <laughs> Now, not to be mean to these guys, but they were kind of dumb. I mean, he told them. And so one of the first things the angel says to them, to the ladies, this is what he told you. Remember what he said. And they went, oh, yeah. Okay? So now when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to the others. Who are the 11? The 11 are the apostles. Up to this point, they were always referred to as the 12. Now it's the 11. Why? Because Judas went and hanged himself. 12 minus 1 <laughs> equals 11. Aren't you glad I'm here to help you with this stuff? Okay? So he goes to the 11, which is just a term talking about the apostles. Because here is a contradiction. The truth is there weren't 11 guys there. There were just 10. Does anybody remember who the one guy who was missing was? Thomas. Very good. I'm very impressed. Thomas wasn't there. So it wasn't really 11. It was 10. And because in John it says it was just the 10. And so some pin over See, yeah, it's another contradiction. It's, honestly, it's nothing. It's stupidness. Okay? It's just their way of saying the apostles. Because what happened was when they showed up and they had all this experience and Jesus shows up, Thomas wasn't there. It wasn't until later that Thomas comes in and they said, guess what happened? And he said, I don't believe it. I can't prove it to me. I got I to stick my finger in his hands and my hand in his side. And until I do that, I won't believe it. This is where we get the phrase doubting Thomas. Have you ever heard the phrase? You're just a doubting Thomas. That, that is a biblical reference talking about the nitwit Thomas who wasn't there, who came in later. All right? Okay, so we fix that one. All right, moving on. So, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other apostles uh, with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and went away and wondered to himself what had happened. So, Peter goes running to the tomb. Actually, another account says it was Peter and well, who was it? John was another guy. So there were two of them, and in a second, we'll see where he says there was more than one. So this is, again, these are the minor nitpicky things. That do, it doesn't mean jack squat. The point is something rather extraordinary has occurred here. Now, on that same day, uh, two of them who are the them, there were the 11, in this case, the 11, and the them, which were the disciples. So these are two of the disciples who were there when all this happens. Now they get on the road and they're going to walk down to a place called Emmaus. So now two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Pretty long walk. 
They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up, walks along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you guys talking about? And the Bible says they stood still, their faces downcast. They were seriously depressed. You can imagine, it's hard to talk about these things 2,000 years later on our Good Friday service. It's hard to leave this place not with tears streaming down your face. I mean, it's an emotional thing. You can imagine when it's been just since Friday and it's Sunday. This is very fresh. They are bummed. Uh, even though these women said they saw you, they don't even know what that means at this point. Um, you know, they had put all this hope in the Messiah. Everything goes south, even though Jesus told them what was going to happen. They weren't getting it. Uh, so, they were downcast. So she said, what are you talking about? And one of them named Cleopas talks to Jesus. He doesn't know it's Jesus. He asks him, so are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these last days? What things? Jesus asked. He said, what about Jesus of Nazareth? He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb this morning. They couldn't find the body. They came, told us they'd seen angels. He was alive. And some of our companions, there again. Now, he says there's more than one. Initially, he said it was Peter. Now, he's the same guy telling the same story. But some of our companions went to, uh, to the tomb and found it just as uh, the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. They said, no, it's Jesus. He says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Let me tell you the problem that they had. In the Old Testament, it talks about the Messiah. This has been prophesied for thousands of years. This one that God would come to redeem mankind, crush the head of the serpent, which was a, a terminology for destroying Satan, and redeem us. They knew the Messiah was coming. But there were two pictures of the Messiah. You can still read it in the Old Testament. There are two pictures. One is this suffering Messiah. The other is this triumphant butt-kicking Messiah who comes in and sets everything straight. Now, why the two pictures? Well, what they didn't understand is that the Messiah is going to come twice. He came the first time as the suffering Messiah. Jesus, the Bible says, is going to come again. You say, when? I don't know, but... No one will miss it when he comes this time. We're not talking, you know, hiding out in Bethlehem, you know, and nobody knows what's going on. When he comes the second time, serious butt kicking coming on. And, you know, yeah. You, you'll, you'll see this on Fox, I guarantee you, when this one happens. And then, you know, then, you know, everything changes, and that's when the world comes to an end. So I, I don't know when it's going to happen. You know, it could happen tomorrow for all I know. But uh, uh, the reality is he's coming back. Now, there were these two pictures. Now, the only one the Jews seemed to really key into was that picture. When they saw the picture of the suffering Messiah, they didn't understand. And for all they knew, it was the same guy at the same trip. They didn't know. They didn't quite get it. So their hope was on the conquering Messiah. But in all fairness, they had been under oppression of other countries for hundreds of years. Longer than the United States has even been in existence. These guys have been an occupied nation. Ever since the Babylonians came and took them into captivity, that was the last time they were a sovereign nation. They were under the... In fact, 
since the Babylonian captivity until they became a sovereign nation again did not happen until 1948. That's quite a dry spell. That was a long time the Jews were there. So they had been under the oppression of other armies, and now the Romans were in. And when they, all their hope was in the conquering Messiah who would set them free. You can imagine if we were under the oppression of some, you know, oppressive invading army like the Canadians, you know, and the Canadians have got us under control for hundreds of years, and finally the Messiah's going to come and get rid of the Canadians so we can be independent people. That's the picture we would latch onto. That's what they did. What Jesus was saying is, look, I told you this. And he starts opening the Bible to them and shows them the picture of the suffering Messiah. This had to happen. He was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Okay? So now, verse 28. As they approached the village uh, to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. You know, hang on, man. It's, it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And then, when he was at the table... He took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. Who does this sound like now? This they had seen many times in Jesus. And the Bible says, suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. This is Jesus. And boom, he disappears. <laughs> that had to be cool. All right. So he said, all of a sudden, boom, he just disappears. Well, they go, holy cow. We're not our hearts burning within us while he was talking. This was amazing when he showed us the scriptures. This is great. So they're jazzed now. They had just walked for seven miles. And the first thing they do is they get up and they go back to Jerusalem the seven miles again. So they are just as excited as they can be. And there they found the 11. Uh, and those with them assembled together. And they were saying now, because now Jesus had showed up uh, to Peter by this point, and they said, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then these two guys said, yes. And they told him what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognizing when they broke bread. And they're all excited, and they're all just jazzed. And now John says in his gospel account of this, they're all hiding out kind of in this upper room because they're, they're a little paranoid. Again, it has just been Friday since Jesus had been killed. For all they know, they were coming for them next. Right? I mean, they drag me off in chains. They're probably thinking, oh boy, I hope they don't come to my house next. I mean, so they're freaked out. They're all, so they're all, the doors are locked. They're all get together. And, and yes, Peter saw him. Well, we saw him too. And they go, really? Wow, wow, wow. And they're all hiding up there quietly. And then all of a sudden, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, hi, guys. <laughs> and, and they freaked. This would be freaky. You can imagine, you're all sitting there, and all of a sudden somebody just goes, Hi! Peace be to you! I mean, their hearts like to stop. Now, it's pretty funny, because whenever you read in the Bible, whenever an angel appears, people freak. And the first thing the angel has to say, Calm down. Don't be afraid. Because, you know, we all think, you know, wouldn't it be cool to see an angel? Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be? Apparently it's not so cool. <laughs> because of like, ah! You know, this is when you think you're by yourself and all of a sudden, ta-da, a little freaky. So Jesus shows up and, hi, guys. And they, ah! And, and they assume right away, it's, it's a ghost. It's got to be a ghost. And, and he said to them, why are you troubled? <laughs> Seriously? He just freaked us out. Uh, and why do doubts arise in your mind? What doubts? 
because see, they doubt that he's actually physically there. Now this, what we're about to read here now, is a major point of Orthodox Christian teaching. This is a major deal here. Uh, why? Because, listen, people don't have a problem, by and large, accepting Jesus at a certain level, okay? Everybody thinks Jesus was a great teacher, a great philosopher. Even your pinhead professors will say, yes, a great philosopher. But, but not the son of God. You know, that, that's, even Muslims who try to kill Christians acknowledge that Jesus was a prophet. You can read about Jesus in the Koran. They accept, everybody accepts Jesus at some point, at some level. A brilliant teacher, great, you know, do unto others. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous stuff. It's, uh, and then lots of people accept the idea that when Jesus was rose from the dead, that it meant spiritually, that they saw his spirit, his ghost. Why? Because almost everybody buys into ghosts. Even crazy people buy into ghosts. You know, you know how many shows you have on cable today about ghosts? You know, yeah, I got this ghost story, haunted ghost stories, ghost chasers. Now we got celebrity ghost stories. Apparently celebrities have different ghosts than other people's ghosts. I don't know, you know. So you got, <laughs> all these shows. How come I don't have my own show? I'm a lot more entertaining than these idiots, but they have their own shows. And, and they've, they, they've got ghosts about this. So everybody is in the, oh, yes, ghosts. Nobody, nobody has a problem with that. And they'll even say, well, when Jesus raised from the dead, what they saw was the ghost. And I promise you, if that was our story, almost everybody would believe. Because everybody buys into the ghost thing, see. But when we come and say, no, 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 no. It wasn't his spirit. It wasn't his ghost. He was physically raised from the dead. That's what messes with people's heads. See? That's what sets us so apart and makes Christianity a different message than anybody else. So he comes to them and he says, look at my hands. Stop it. My iPod's freaking out. Sorry. It was a ghost. My iPod's haunted. Now it's moving by itself. <laughs> okay, where am I? I was somewhere. 39. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when they said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And they still didn't believe it because they're just joy and amazement. This is incredible what's going on. And then he says, you guys got anything here to eat? And he gave them a piece of... They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Why? All of this to establish beyond a shadow of a doubt. It wasn't his spirit. We're not talking ghost stories here. Jesus Christ was literally, physically raised from the dead, back to life, and is seated with God in heaven today. That is the Christian message. Say, oh, I don't believe that. <laughs> That's why your life stinks. All right, now... So then Jesus sits down and he says to them, this is what I was telling you guys. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer, raised from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, which is what we've been doing for 2,000 years now. Uh, in all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses to these things. So he stops and he reminds them again. 
This is what I was telling you. And what's odd about it, and maybe, maybe because he was always speaking in parables and messing with their heads, maybe, maybe they thought he was talking in parables and he wasn't really, I mean, there's got to, they can't possibly be this stupid. But I mean, he literally told them in no uncertain terms this was going to happen and they couldn't get it and he reminds them, this is what I told you. And he starts to open things and make it real to them, which is kind of what we've been talking about throughout Lent here is that there's nothing you can say really to anybody to convince them of Christianity. There's nothing you can really show. People think, oh man, why doesn't God just show up and do all kinds of cool miracles? Because if my friends, if my friends could see miracles, they'd come to church. If my friends could experience, if they could really see something, it would make a difference. Apparently not. I mean, people saw Jesus do things and they didn't believe it. The Pharisees were right there and they saw it and they still didn't believe it. The most miraculous one we talked about uh, last couple of weeks, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You know, that was an incredible miracle. I mean, if Pastor Latham suddenly falls on the floor, don't do that. But if he suddenly flops on the floor, and I go up and we feel his pulse, he's dead. Oh my goodness, Pastor Mark, I did. and all you people feel his pulse, all you nurses and stuff around you feel his pulse. He's dead, he's dead. And then I go over and pray for him, and he pops awake. I promise you, 99% of you would think, oh, he wasn't really dead. <laughs> and you're believers. You know that's exactly what you think, you little rats. You know it, all of you know it. You say, well, well he wasn't really dead. Well, I felt this book. Well, he probably just, you know, passed out. He had gas or something. I don't know. What is it? <laughs> That's what we'd explain it away, okay? Now, this is what they had. Because whenever Jesus raised a body from the dead, someone who just died, and he prayed for him the way, and they all said, wow. He was just mostly dead, okay? <laughs> Princess Bride movie. So, so when it comes to Lazarus, Lazarus is like super dead because now he's mostly dead. He's been dead for three days. He reeks he's so dead. And then Jesus yells at this guy, Lazarus, come forth! And this guy hops out, and everybody goes, whoa! You would think that that would make everybody believe in Jesus. But it wasn't. In fact, it was the miracle that pushed the Pharisees over the edge. When they saw this, they didn't go, wow, he must be the son of God. They thought, we got to kill this guy. Isn't that amazing? When you and I, man, I, you know, I, I would have loved to have been there and say, oh, it probably would have freaked me out. To see that, you think, wow, that would have made me a believer. Apparently, the, there's nothing you can show people. There's nothing you can say. Unless God does this in people's hearts. The reason you're here and even listening to me today and being a part of the Christian community is because of what God did in your heart. And he pulled you here. You're watching by television this morning. The reason some of you are sitting there watching, why am I listening to this idiot on TV? It's, it's because God is speaking to you. Something about this. Because I promise you, most people flipping through channels today looked at me for a minute and said, what a weirdo, and moved on. You stopped. Why? God is trying to get a hold of your heart. See, that's how this stuff works. There's nothing you can say to intellectually convince people of faith. You'll never get somebody, you're going to head into heaven through your head. You get there through here, through your heart. And that's what Jesus did when he began to speak to them and make all of it real to them. And then Jesus gave them these final instructions. And this is really actually the point of the whole sermon today. He said, I'm going to send you what my father promised. Talking about the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that later. But he tells them after all this, but stay, 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 like, like a dog, stay. 
Don't move. Don't go anywhere. Wait until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then they waited for that 50, 60-day period, whatever it is, until the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them, and they went out and they changed the world. Now, all this to say, what we're going to be doing now for the next, however many days, the five weeks of Wednesday night services, is we're going to be gathering here and in Stevens Point, because they're the only two locations that have buildings. But we're going to be having... Uh, 45 minutes to an hour of just prayer times. The band's going to play and give a great atmosphere and stuff. And we're going to encourage people just to come and kneel and pray. Or if that's uncomfortable for you, you can sit in the chairs and stuff like that. But just to come. And we're not going to try to accomplish anything other than to pray. Let's pray. Let's be people of prayer. For the next month plus, we just want to come and bring before the Lord the names of people you're concerned about in your life and you pray. Why do you want to pray for them? So that God will get a hold of this because there's nothing you can do with this. Some of you know you've tried everything way you can to get through their heads. They don't get it. They're not going to get it. They go, Pastor, if they could just see a miracle, they get it. No, they still won't get it. We need to pray. We need to pray that God will get a hold of this in them and start to pull this. So we're going to have just a little over a month of nothing. No great preaching. No dramatic instruction. We're just going to pray. Okay? And quite frankly, this is going to be good for some of you. And I know a lot of you don't even come on Wednesday nights. Heaven forbid you get too much church. You might go into a coma. All right? <laughs> but I promise you, you won't go into a coma. Get off your butts. Come to church. It's just for these next four or five weeks. And just spend some time and pray. Join with other people. Again, it'll be a great atmosphere, great music as we come. And we encourage you to come kneel or whatever you want to do. And just talk to God about the people in your life. Look, we live in a crazy world. Everybody's busy. I get it. We have bills to pay. We have responsibilities. We've got rugrats we're wrangling every five seconds. All the different things. And I get it. But at some point, we just need to shh. And it's not going to happen until we intentionally just go, stay. Stop. Be quiet. So over these next few weeks, make it, maybe you can't make them all, but you need to at least make one. Come on, you guys. Come and let's pray and see what God does. I promise you. You've heard me say this many times. The number one reason why people don't get answers to prayer is because they don't pray. We don't pray. We whine, we freak, we panic, we bellyache, we yell. We're fabulous at that. Not so much at just, shh, let's pray. Watch what God's going to do over the next five weeks as we pray. And you know what? This is really great stuff because when you really understand it, the pressure's off. And a lot of Christians are just kind of distressed because they can't get more people in their lives to become Christians. It's not up to you to convince anybody of anything. But you can pray for them and watch what God does in their lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this fabulous sacrifice in your son Jesus and how you raised him physically from the dead on that glorious day. And God... We're thankful that you've called us and spoken to our hearts and that we've experienced your mercy and grace in our lives in this fabulous thing called Christianity.
this fabulous experience of faith. Lord, over the next month or so, Lord, help us to slow down a little bit, especially before summer kicks in and all that. Help us just to be intentional and come and to lift up the names of people in our lives that we need you to speak to them and open their eyes and open their hearts. And we're looking forward to fabulous things over this next month or so. And help us to be people who will be intentional. It's very against our nature, Lord. We don't really want to slow down. <laughs> we're just constantly in a rat race trying to be the fastest rat. Help us to slow down. Calm down. Stay for a bit. And to really pray and see what you can do in the lives of the people around us. We're looking forward to this. We're excited about what you do. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite the ushers if they would come as we prepare for communion this morning and, and as our worship team returns back up on stage. Our service, as we bring our service to a close, we always want to take this opportunity to focus in at the end of the message on the opportunity of reminding ourselves of what Jesus did when he suffered and died and rose again. Last Sunday, as we know, was Resurrection Sunday. We gathered and celebrated Easter and the resurrection. We celebrated the fact that Jesus became that Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world and he gave his life for, for us. This morning we do the same thing. As in a few moments we will join together in communion. You'll hold in your hand a piece of bread that represents the body of Christ, a cup with grape juice or wine in it that represents the blood of Jesus and that was shed for you. This morning, even as Pastor Mark has been preaching, there have been some that have sensed the Holy Spirit touching their hearts. Going beyond just their heads and their thought of who God is. Because I think everyone would agree this morning that is seated here that you know who God is. You have a knowledge of God. It's hard to live in the country in which we live and not having a, have a knowledge of God. But as we come this morning, in a few moments, I'm going to just invite all of us to pray a prayer, a very simple prayer, and invite you to repeat this prayer after me. But when we pray a prayer like this, and it's an opportunity for you to go beyond just a knowledge of, of, of who God is and allowing the Holy Spirit, as He draws our hearts, touches our hearts, of saying, yes, I need you, Lord. I need you. I need to begin this relationship with you. You see, Jesus, when he died and he rose again, spent 40 days with the disciples before he ascended into heaven. And part of the reason he was there, times just like this, like Pastor Mark read those scriptures, that as he broke bread, they realized that it was him. He came to comfort and challenge them. And this morning, in a few moments, we'll partake of communion too. An opportunity for you to know that God is here in your life and wanting to bless you and strengthen you and encourage you and comfort you, challenge you as well. But for some this morning, the very first step is saying, God, I need you. I need you in my life. I need you as my Lord and my Savior. So I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. I invite all of us just to repeat this simple prayer after me. And again, if you're praying this prayer this morning for the first time from your heart, maybe you've prayed it before, but this morning you've sensed the Holy Spirit just touching you and saying and drawing you, convicting you of your sin. 
And as you pray this prayer this morning, the first step, the beginning process in your walk with God. So would you repeat these words after me this morning? Dear Lord Jesus, something in my heart tells me I need you. I now confess my sin and repent of my sin and by faith ask you to come into my life as my Savior and as my Lord. Amen.